Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 35 of The Sco Show. Mark Schofield back in the big chair for today, Thursday, October 31st. It is Halloween, kids. I know we talked a little bit about Halloween in the open to yesterday's show, but hope the costumes are ready. Hope the kids are... Well, we know the kids are excited. Let's just say that. My mom, Mama Sco, old school teacher, she used to say Halloween, one of the toughest times of the year as a school teacher because the kids are just wired for like the week leading up to it. And it, if yours are anything like mine, that's certainly true because it was next to impossible to get the kids down to bed on Halloween Eve. They're just so wired. You can't wait for the day ahead. So those of you out there with little ones running around, hope you get through Halloween Eve. Hope you get through today and tonight as best as you can. We've got a loaded show for you today. Doug Farrar from USA Today, Touchdown Wire. He's going to come on, talk to us some more about the Baltimore Ravens defending Lamar Jackson. Like I said, he was at that Seattle-Baltimore game. He got to see up close, in person, what Lamar Jackson can do. And we're going to spend some more time on that, some more nerdy football stuff for you here at the outset. But before we dive back into some nerdy X's and O's, your usual cavalcade of reminders. Please follow along with the hijinks at Mark Schofield on Twitter, InsideThePylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Check out our new quick game show. It comes out every other week. New episode dropped on Wednesday. About an hour and a half or so of Matt and I going full bore through like 25 different topics, rapid fire style. A minute or three minutes tops on each question. It's a ton of fun, so check that out. Also, the SB Nation website, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB Sco Show with the venerable Michael J. Kiston. Yes, right here at Pat's Pulpit, where you can read about some of the stuff I'm about to talk about yet again today. That's right. Peace up right now. Revisiting the tight front, which we talked about yesterday. And I'm going to dive back into that a little more. But first, I want to highlight just three plays. Three plays that to me encapsulate why it is so hard to defend Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. And these plays don't really dive into Lamar Jackson, the quarterback, Lamar Jackson, the athlete, Lamar Jackson, the guy that's both an upper tier passer and an upper tier runner this season because he is all of those things. As you read in the piece today that I put out on Pat's pulpit, and I'm apologizing if these are rehashing of numbers that I talked about yesterday. But yesterday I did a lot of shows on Wednesday, so things kind of ran together. But again, in looking at defendant Lamar Jackson, you're talking about going up against a quarterback, a quarterback that is putting up top 10 numbers. I mean, you're talking about a guy that is fifth in the league in QBR with a QBR of 70.9 behind only Dak Prescott, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson. You're talking about a guy with an adjusted net yards per attempt, an ANYA, of 6.70, which is 13th in the league. If you want to talk about an expected points added per play, his EPA per play is 0.2, which is 12th among passers. But then you also have to defend a guy that is, despite a bye week last week, 10th in the league in Russian, with 576 yards Russian under his belt. And he is averaging 82.3 yards per game as a runner, which is more per game than Saquon Barkley. So it's like defending a Saquon Barkley who is a upper-tier passer in the National Football League. That's kind of what you're doing. But beyond what Lamar Jackson can do, I want to talk about just three plays from the third quarter of their game against Seattle that kind of have me wondering, 
just how tough it is to defend these guys. Because the first one is a second and nine. And again, I'm going to put these three plays and a quick thing on Twitter that you can check out for yourselves. Second and nine, 418 mark of the third quarter, 418 left in the third quarter. Balls at the Seattle 41-yard line. They come out pistol formation, 11 personnel. They've got Edwards behind Lamar Jackson, tight end to the right. And the tight end comes in motion just before the play. The ball is snapped when he's behind the right guard. And both the right guard and the tight end are going to aim towards the left edge of the offensive line. So you have a guard pulling and the tight end slice blocking across the formation to that edge. What does Jackson do? Takes a snap, opens to his left, puts the ball in the belly of Edwards, who is attacking the middle of the field. Now, imagine being a linebacker, a linebacker on Seattle's defense facing this. You see a pulling guard going from, if you're in the linebacker's shoes, you're left to right. You see a tight end also coming, you're left to right. You see Lamar Jackson potentially handing the ball off to a running back who will be aiming right towards you. But then, oh, there's the idea that Lamar Jackson could keep the football and maybe follow that tight end, follow that guard. That's a lot to process in a short period of time. And on this play, what does Lamar Jackson do? He hands the ball off. Edwards cuts behind the pulling guard, cuts upfield, through the middle, 14-yard gain. There's nobody in the middle of the second level. Why? Because the guard and the tight end have influenced the linebackers to the edge. They start following the pullers. Very next play, first and 10 at the Seattle 27-yard line. This is at the 339 mark of the third quarter. Same exact formation. Now it's Mark Ingram in the game. But you've got Jackson in the pistol, tight end in a wing to the right, Ingram behind Jackson, tight end comes in motion, ball is snapped when he's behind the guard, Guard pulls again. The right guard pulls to the edge. Tight end slice block. Jackson takes the snap, opens to his left, puts the football in the belly. Everybody's worried about Jackson potentially keeping it because he shows you a keep, but Jackson hands it to Ingram. Ingram cuts behind the pulling guard and the tight end. There's nobody in the middle of the field when the ball is handed off to him because their linebackers are flowing to the edge, worried about what's going to happen there, worried about Lamar Jackson. Easy eight-yard game. Two plays in a row. The same exact thing. It reminds me of my days, and I still have NCAA Football 06 for the original Xbox. It was in storage. I fired it up. It reminds me of the days when I would just run shotgun, halfback, direct snap, just over and over and over again because it was a cheat code. Playing against Heisman All-American, didn't matter. It was a cheat code. But they're doing this against the Seattle Seahawks on the road. The same play twice in a row. Why? Because it messes with everything linebackers are taught in your reads and your keys. You're seeing guys pulling. You're worried about Lamar Jackson. It's tough to defend. But then you get an incompletion. After they convert the first down, there was an eight-yard gain. It's a second and two. You get an inside run. First and 10 incompletion. Second and 10 delay of game. Second and 15 incompletion. Now you're thinking, look, we get them in third and long. Third and 15. Now we're making Lamar Jackson have to beat us with his, with his arm, right? We got him where we want him. What do they do? Lamar Jackson in the gun. Running back next to him. They pull the center and the left tackle to the right edge. Jackson has the running back standing to his right. 
Running back comes in front of him. Jackson puts the football in his belly. Now if you're a linebacker, it's third and 15. You're thinking pass. You start seeing this pulling action. You've seen Lamar Jackson hand the ball off a bunch of different times. Now you've got pullers going away from the running back. What's going to happen here? Lamar Jackson has the running back across in his face to the left edge of the offensive line. He's got pullers going to the right edge. You might think, oh, well, maybe he's going to hand it off. Oh, maybe he's going to keep it up the middle. No. Jackson keeps it and follows the two pulling guards. And it's third and 15. And they run basically quarterback power behind a pulling center and a pulling left tackle. And he picks up 13 yards to get him into fourth and two. They take a timeout. Jackson talks John Harbaugh and everybody on the sideline into going forward on the very next play. Lamar Jackson, quarterback power, eight yards, touchdown on fourth and two. And that's what makes them hard to defend is because they will show you these pullers. They'll show you these slice blocks. And as a linebacker, it's tough to trust your eyes and your keys. And that's going to be the biggest task facing the second-level defenders of the Patriots on Sunday night. Now, I mentioned the tight front yesterday. I want to dive back into that for a moment because I had a long conversation on the timeline and then in the private messages with Matty Brown, who I know extremely well. I knew him since he started writing about the sport. Smart football mind, smart football coach. He's a guy that teaches the game, coaches the game. He writes about Seattle for, first it was field goals, and now the SI Maven site. And he and I were talking about the tight front. And there are examples, and again, this is going to be in the Pat's pulpit piece that's up now, of Seattle using that tight front. Second and three. Baltimore ball at the Seattle 7. 11.46 left in the first quarter. Lamar Jackson in the gun. You've got a tight end on the wing. And you've got Seattle in that tight defensive front like we talked about in yesterday's show. So you've got a defensive tackle who's shaded on the outside, the right shoulder of the center. You've got one defensive end who's inside shade, a four-eye technique of the right tackle. And the other defensive end, four-eye technique, inside shade of the left tackle. It helps when you have Jadavion Clowney as one of your edge guys, but they bring him down on the edge. And you've got Bobby Wagner as well, floating on the outside. He can handle, come down and play on the other edge. You've got a safety down, Blair, who could run the alley, sort of the role we envision Patrick Shun in. And you've got KJ Wright in the middle of the field. They show you the power pull here with the left guard pulling to the edge. Running back cuts in front of Lamar Jackson, working from left to right. Jackson puts the ball in the running back's belly, rides him for a bit, sees some players sort of collapse to the edge. Wagner comes down. K.J. Wright follows the puller. He sees a guy pulling. He's going to trust his keys. The key here, no pun intended, is the safety. Blair, who fills that hole that Jackson's trying to exploit, and Jefferson, who's a defensive tackle, and Blair stop this attempted run by Lamar Jackson for just one yard gain. Very next play. Very next play, you get a similar lineup, pistol formation. You have the tight end who's in the left. He comes in motion from left to right, handoff to Edwards. And again, you have that tight front look from the defense. You've got somebody shaded on the center, inside technique on the right tackle, inside technique on the left tackle. You've got everything blocked up on the, you've got everything occupied and all the gaps and the runs, the run gaps are fit well. By the defense, and Jadavion Clowney runs this down from behind. Again, I know it helps to have Jadavion Clowney, but
But Seattle used this tight front at times. And on back-to-back plays, they had them to a gain and then a loss of one. You're going to see it Sunday. And so, again, you can check out the Twitter thread. You can check out the Pat's Pulpit piece. Support the work, kids. Support the work. Anyway, that's enough yapping from me. Let's hear from somebody that actually knows what he's talking about. And that's Doug Farrar, who will join us next for Quality Time on Episode 35 of The Sco Show. And welcome back to episode 35 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. And it's time for quality time, and there's nobody better to help us break down this game we're going to see Sunday night than our guest. He writes for USA Today, the touchdown wire. He was at Baltimore at Seattle a couple weeks ago. He is Mr. Doug Farrar, making a triumphant return to the show. Doug, my friend, how you doing, sir? Uh, Awesome. Good to talk to you again and extremely fascinated with this matchup. Yeah, as, it, I, as I just said before we went live, I wish they could just play this uh, once in the early state, once in the middle, and once at the end on Sunday, and we just watch this game three times. It would be lovely if they could do that, because I'm sure we'd all love to see these two teams play three times over the course of the game than some of the other games we're going to see on Sunday. But let's start here, Doug. Because, because here's the thing. I would bet that Greg Roman and Bill Belichick would put three entirely different game plans in, and you don't know which one would work all three times. That's how diverse these Baltimore's offense and New England's defense uh, potentially can be. So let's kind of start there, because like I said, you were at Baltimore versus Seattle. You got to see Baltimore's offense in person. You mentioned the schematic diversity. They do so many different things. What did you see from that offense, both when you saw them live and then when you study them on tape? Well, the funny thing, I mean, Pete Carroll said this. I think some Seahawks players said this, um, and and they were kind of derided for it. And I don't know why, because it, it really does show up. Lamar Jackson is so much faster in person than he is on tape or on television. It, it's kind of scary when you actually. And then I would go back and watch the All-22 from Baltimore City. I don't think, nah, he was faster in person. There's just something about watching an electric athlete like this live that's different. And I, I think that's one, this may be a bit weird. It, it may sound weird. I, I think that's one reason people have perhaps underestimated Jackson as a pure athletic running threat because when you see it live, it's just a different speed. I don't know how to explain it because, you know, unless we're watching Soldier Field tape, all 22 is pretty revealing, but it's just a different thing. I mean, the run game, you know, it's inside zone, outside zone. It's, it's very similar. uh, And I asked Harbaugh about this the Wednesday before the game um, a whole bunch of elements of what Greg Roman did in San Francisco with Kaepernick until the second half of the 2016 season when all of a sudden they decided, hey, we want to turn you into a pocket quarterback, which was, you know, uh, politics aside, one of the reasons he kind of fell off the map. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's everything from jet motion, which they also use heavily in the passing game, um, it's, you know, it, it's a lot of disguise stuff. It's cutback running. It's pretty much everything you can imagine. They do it all very well. And the reason they do it all very well, I mean, Ingram's great. The offensive line is really good. I mean, Ronnie Stanley has been on my all underrated team for two straight years now, but the reason the run game works is because you really don't have an answer for Lamar Jackson. And as he improves as a passer, which he's certainly done this season, um, you know, he, 
his stats weren't great, but he also suffered, I believe, five receiver drops. Andrews, the tight end, was just awful, except for the one big play, which Lamar kind of threw him into. Um, so the thing about, yeah, he's just a runner. You know, it's like calling Jamal Adams just a box safety. You kind of know when people aren't watching tape when they say crap like this. Right. Lamar Jackson is improving as a thrower. He's not... You know, he's not Michael Vick when Andy Reid and Marty Morgan Wayne got a hold of him just yet, but that's where they're headed with this. And they've been very patient with Jackson. Um, you know, everything from his calls in the huddle to I know the, the narrow feet, he solved that. And the throw to Andrews was really great because he used pocket movement. He didn't run. He stayed in the pocket, moved to his left, calmed his body down, mm-hmm. threw it over the defender. I mean, that, that was a, the kind of throw – uh, you know, he had the big 50-yard throw in the game as well. But that was the kind of throw where I thought, okay, now, now that's development. That's not hitting a guy 50 yards downfield over a beaten safety. That's throwing in structure, and that's what you want to see. You know, Doug, you mentioned Kaepernick there, so I want to turn to this because I know you just watched, you went back and saw some of the games when New England faced Kaepernick and tried to defend him. Was there anything you took from what Belichick did in those games that you might apply to what we'll see Sunday night? Well, let, let's start with what Belichick's going to do, because that's what everyone's saying. You know, oh, they're going to run tight. They're going to run four-two-five with a spy. Maybe Jonathan Jones will be a safety spy because the linebackers aren't fast enough. Um, I will confirm that, because Bobby Wagner tried to spy Jackson. Uh, it, Bobby Wagner was a future Hall of Famer. That right. did not go well. Um, this guy, I, I have not seen a singular athlete like this since Michael Vick in the Atlanta days. That's how much of a challenge he is. So let's look at what I saw. They faced Kaepernick uh, once in 2012 and once in 2016. Very different game plans. And I believe the 2016 game plan was a direct response to Greg Roman and Jim Harbaugh saying, hey, Kaepernick, we don't want you to run as much. We want to turn you into a pocket passer. The first thing they did in 2016, they didn't really do a lot in 2012, was they played a lot of man coverage, which, you know, uh, you that's the last thing you want to do against a, a, a running quarterback of that caliber. Because, and the, the reason why is obvious, you're playing man, you got to turn your head away from the quarterback. So they, they didn't care in 2016. They played man anyway, shut Kaepernick down. 2012 was the interesting game for our purposes. Um, they played a lot of cover three bail. Uh, Belichick had his cornerbacks looking, you know, we're going to cover the receivers, but we're also going to spy the backfield to see what Kaepernick's doing. So that's one way to spy an athletic quarterback with bail coverage. I would expect to see some of that. They also did a lot of kind of a base 3-4. I mean, for a second, I thought I was watching Chuck Fairbanks tape from like right. 1975. Um, and, you know, three down linemen, four linebackers. And the reason you do that is it covers all the gaps. And, and gap soundness is more important against a guy like Lamar Jackson than how you spy him. You leave one gap open, you're dead. That's just the way it is. So, you know, people have talked about, again, the 7DB thing, um, that the Chargers used against him in the playoffs last year. I could see some of that. I could see some base three, four with, with I, I don't think they'll play a lot of man. And I know they play like 70% man. It, I, I'm breaking news here. Belichick is situationally pretty smart. Yeah. Um, so I would expect that, you know, 
Belichick's not going to go into this game thinking either of these two things. We're going to do this one thing to stop Lamar Jackson, or we're just going to do the one thing. Um, or, you know, we're going to do the way and, and force him to adapt to us. Belichick never does that. And this is a guy who once in a game against the Jaguars put nine different offensive line combinations on the field. So I could, you know, on certain rundowns, you could see a base three, four with, uh, you know, cover two bail or cover three bail behind it. You could see a lot of a guy like Jonathan Jones or, you know, whoever their joker spy kind of safety corner hybrid slot person is. You could see a lot of that. You could see some 70 B in, in certain situations. Um, I, I would expect a lot of tight because as you wrote a uh, great article, by the way, Belichick has used that and teams are using that more. I know Cody Alexander, uh, who we both know has written a ton on the tight front and, and how it works against really mobile quarterbacks in simpler college offenses. Well, from a passing perspective, Baltimore's offense isn't like really advanced yet, but it's getting there. So, you know, you have to, when you game plan for Baltimore's offense, you have to throw all the preconceptions out the window. Um, Lamar is not Michael Vick circa 2004. He's a much more advanced passer than that. And he is the same sort of electric threat on the ground. So you have to think differently. I would expect Belichick to throw a lot of disguises at him because I'm not sure he's ready for that just yet. Now, the Patriots, I mean, it, the interesting thing about the Patriots this year from, and tell me if you agree, from what I've seen in their defense, it's a lot of different stuff with the fronts and with the linebackers, but pretty, I wouldn't say chalk, but a lot of stability and coverage where this is what we're going to run. Really, the diversity has been in the front. You could see that change in this game. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right, Doug, because you look at the success they've had. You think back to the Monday Nighter against Sam Darnold. A lot of the disguise was up front. Show you overlogs, mud, mug looks in the interior. And they, for the most part, sort of line up and run what they're going to run in the secondary. You know, cover one, zero blitz. That's why the pick that Daniel Jones threw when they spun to a cover two man under look caught everybody sort of by surprise. And you had Troy Aikman sort of blown away by a simple cover two rotation. So do you think that Belichick's going to come out and flip the script there as well and say, we'll show you two or we'll show you one or we'll show you three, but we're going to run something completely different and try to get to Jackson that way mentally rather than physically? Well, this is where it comes into the, you know, I know that you know that you know that I right. know kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it, I, I've never thought that Greg Rowland has gotten his due as a, as a play designer and a, a designer of offenses. But, you know, one thing about the cover zero blitz, and this is especially true against Darnold, one thing that Belichick loves to do is to establish a pattern or a rhythm in a quarterback's head and then completely screw with it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, everything you thought was true isn't. And if your offensive game designer is not up on that, and I think Roman will be, he'll, you know, he's going to tell Jackson, okay, we're going to get this and then it's going to be that. The problem is Roman can only go on what Belichick has done before. And the defense is different this season than it's been at any other point in the Belichick era. 
uh, partially because he has different personnel, partially because he's taken control of more of the defense. So I think in a, in a larger, more general, more abstract way, Roman has to coach Jackson away from, okay, if they show you this, that's what it is. It's more, if they show you this, these are the three things it could mean. And maybe you walk at, you know, up to the line of scrimmage with a different, you know, a package based on what you see. And I don't, I don't know how well they're going to do with that because I think, I think that's one area in which Jackson is still kind of figuring it out. But I, here, my, my overarching point is, if you see a three, four base front, if you see tight, if you see cover three bail, if you see a, a zero blitz, if you see any of the things we're talking about and you think to yourself, Oh, this is the way they're going to do it. I don't think so. I think in a game like this, this is the way they're going to do it for four plays in five different drives, um, or five plays in four different drives. It won't be the one thing. And I think, the, I think, a kitchen sink approach could be very interesting, not only for this game, but down the road, because whenever we talk about the Patriots, historically great defense, you know, you get 56 people on Twitter thinking the first person to say they've played nothing but crappy quarterbacks. Right. Um, that obviously is going to change uh, through the end of the season into the playoffs and coming up with different ideas and different packages in this game. will tell Belichick, not only about how to deal with Lamar Jackson, but also what his own personnel is specifically good at outside of the purview of what they've done in the first half of the season. You know, Doug, one of the things we've all bandied about in sort of the kitchen sink approach, the idea of playing tight against these guys, I know, you know, you talked about it today on Twitter. Like you said, I've written about it. Other people have talked about it. The Seattle tried it as well. What is it about sort of that front, that package that could work against Baltimore or could still struggle defending Lamar Jackson? Well, as you pointed out in your article, it, it takes away a bit of the edge rush. I don't think they're as concerned with edge here. I think it's containment. And when I asked Pete Carroll the Wednesday before that Baltimore Seattle game about what do you do? The first thing it, it's gap containment, it's gap containment. That's, that's really the story. And you know, they would Clowney would over pursue and half the time it worked and half the time it wouldn't. And there was an article I wrote when Jim Johnson, the old um, Philadelphia Eagles defensive coordinator, one of the greatest at his position in NFL history died. And I was writing for Football Outsiders. I went back and watched the 2004 NFC Championship game, Eagles-Falcons. And that was when Vic was at his peak as a runner. And Johnson was one of the most blitz-aggressive defensive coordinators, like, ever. Um, straight out of the Buddy Ryan playbook. And he went completely against type. And what he did is he played um, a kind of zone defense with his linebackers where they weren't playing zone coverage, per se, they were spying gaps in zone. They did not spy the player. They spied the gap. And they would work into coverage if they needed to with, you know, curl flat or curl hook or whatever. But what they really did was, you know, this three yards horizontally, this is your area. You have to use this. I kind of think, especially when the Seahawks are playing their base, which they love to do with their three linebackers, I don't think they did that enough, and I think it really affected them at the second level. So, you know, 
Belichick being the, you know, the effective historian he is, he's probably already watched that tape or somebody in the Patriots building has already watched that tape. Oh, maybe we can do that too. Um, so, you know, using tight to contain, you know, I know people have said, well, the Steelers blitzed, um, Jackson in that work, but the Steelers also have an absolutely insane defensive front. Mm-hmm. Patriots really don't. So it's kind of a different deal. You know, Doug, so much attention in this game and the lead up to it has been on the matchup we've been talking about, this Patriots defense against the Baltimore offense. But I want to look at the other matchup because we have two units, this Baltimore defense, this Patriots offense, sort of trying to figure out what it is they do best and try to figure out what it is that they can be going forward. How do you see that matchup playing out? Well, one, the first statistic we need to look at is Baltimore's blitz percentage. They're blitzing on 48% of their defensive snaps, which is the most in the NFL. Um, and they have a hurry percentage of about eight. You know, They're knocking down quarterbacks at a pretty high rate. But they don't really have anyone on that defensive line who makes you nervous as a pure edge rusher. They're generating pressure through steam. Um, and obviously when you're trying to generate pressure on a quick passing game, which the Patriots are essentially running um, both by preference and by force at this point in time, um, you know, blitzing only gets you so far. So maybe they don't do that as much, but, you know, especially up the middle, I would expect because the, the one relative kryptonite with Brady is, has always been, yeah. rush up the middle, get right in his face. He can't, you know, he can't step up in the pocket. Things get weird. Um, but that's, that's the thing you need to know about the Ravens uh, defensive front. They're not creating sacks through talent per se. I'm not maligning their players. I'm just saying they're creating, they're creating pressure through steam. Um, Don Martindale runs a, and, and, and in this way, the Patriots and Ravens are similar, although the, the Patriots secondary is obviously insanely much better than anybody else's. Um, it's, you know, a lot of discipline in the secondary and kind of a Petri dish up front um, in both cases out of necessity. Doug, one of the things that Patriots fans have been concerned about is the inability sometimes to convert on third down as well as perhaps the lack of, so we say, fluidity that Brady has with his receivers. And watching New England, have you seen the same things? Do you think that's something they can sort out going forward? I think that whole offense is out of sync right now, and I think if the defense wasn't playing at a, night, uh, at a 2,000 Ravens level, we'd be talking a lot more about it. I don't think he's on the same page with his receivers outside Edelman. Um, I think the run game has taken a real step back. This is, I mean, if they hadn't switched to a gap power run game in the second half of last season, I don't think they would have gotten to the Super Bowl. That saved their season. Yeah. So you, you could go back and argue that even with Gronk, um, their passing game was out of sync last year. You know, it, it took three straight plays out of a weird personnel to get them ahead of the Rams to the point where they could breathe a little bit in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I, I know they're looking at Eifert and O.J. Howard and different guys. Um, you know, we don't really know what Nikhil Harry will be. I think Mohamed Sanu is a nice addition. Um, I think Emmanuel Sanders would have been better for their particular needs. But that offense overall 
from, you know, whatever they want to do, I, you know, and, and you've watched it more specifically than I have, but especially in the passing game, this is a passing game that can be beaten pretty easily and more than you would expect from this particular franchise, it tends to beat itself more than you would, more than you would think. Now, Doug, you dropped your on the timeline and over at USA Touching on Wire today, your underrated players of 2019 to this point. Some Patriots made the list, specifically Joe Tooney, Jamie Collins, and Devin McCourty. What have those players meant to this year's Patriots team? Um, well, I'm going to say this. I don't root for teams. I root for players sometimes. Earl Thomas is my favorite player of this decade. And it, it's like a stake in my heart to say that Devin McCourty is the best deep safety in the NFL right now. God, Earl, I'm sorry. Um, there was a point, I believe it was after week four or week five, where McCourty had four interceptions. He'd been targeted three times. Think about that for a second. Think about what that means as far as his unbelievably insane, not only range, because you got a whole bunch of guys back there playing single high who can run around and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But he's that, you know, what Bill Walsh used to say about, if you know what angle to take, you're faster than the guy who doesn't, even if he's faster than you. Right. Um, and, and you've obviously seen this. They can't play that much cover one as aggressively as they do with absolute impunity. If McCordy isn't back there playing deep safety at uh, L level, we have rarely seen in what I would call the multiple defense era, which maybe goes back to about 2010. Um, you could argue that he, may, he might be the most underrated or maybe the, one of the four or five most underrated and most important defensive players in the NFL today because he, oh, I mean, yeah, Gilmore is the best cornerback in the NFL. I don't think anyone really argues that. But they can't run what they want to run without McCourty. And it would be the equivalent of, like, in Seattle, we were all kind of holding our breath. If Earl ever loses any snaps, this whole defense goes to crap. Well, here we are. Um, I think if McCourty misses any time, that's the one guy on defense, even above Gilmore, that I'm not sure you can replace. So that's his value. Collins, um, you know, it's interesting. I'll just put Collins as a spy on Lamar Jackson. Uh, no, he's right. not that athletic. He, that's that's bad. Um, <laughs> right. bad idea. But he, you know, he he's curl flat, curl hook, blitz. He gives you, in addition to High Tower and Van Noy, now you have three multifaceted linebackers who can do a lot of things. High Tower is not the guy you want in coverage, obviously. Right. Um, Van Noy is a little more versatile, but Collins gives you that sort of spinner guy who can do a bunch of stuff. And, and Tooney was impressed with him last year. I think he had the most snaps of any guard in the NFL last year. Didn't give up a sack, yep. which yes, you're aided by a quick passing game, but you know, you're also holding up against guys like Aaron Donald, uh, six, five, three Oh five. You have to play with perfect mechanics to play with both. I mean, the agility kind of comes from his body type. The root strength comes through really awesome technique. And, you know, it, it, I think he gave up a total of 10 sacks in his first two seasons. As much as Skarnickia has done, I think Tooney may be one of his most impressive projects. Not that Tooney wasn't going to have that talent anyway, but you can really see the difference in the last couple of years. 
Doug, this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. I know we, we both could probably go for another hour or two just on this game, but unfortunately we don't have that time. But let me get you out of here on this. Looking ahead to Sunday night, what are your expectations? Not a prediction or who you think is going to win, just expectation for what we're going to see play out. I think, you know, you go back to that 2012 game where they went base 3-4 and kind of a cover 3 bail. Kaepernick threw four touchdown passes. Yeah. And San Francisco, San Francisco won that game. Yeah. I think you're going to see more from Lamar as a passer in this game than you might expect. And, you know, I think the Patriots, I think they'll win. I think they'll throw things at Lamar he has not seen. And I think Belichick will take a couple of big plays as the inevitable offshoot of whatever defense they're running at the time. But I, I think the most fascinating thing to me about this game and the challenges it presents to England defense. And I said this before, watch how many different things Belichick throws at the Ravens because as they face a gauntlet of tougher quarterbacks and tougher offenses, this game will tell you a lot about what he thinks of his defensive players, how they're sort of deployed and with him having a more increased involvement in that defense it, it, you know, it's. I think it's going to presage a lot of what you see as they try to make another Super Bowl run, and it's it's just, boy, I, I can't wait for this one. Yeah, I don't think I don't think many can wait for this one. It's going to be fascinating to watch play out. Doug, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. That will do it for today's show. Uh, we will be back Saturday with Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind. Until then, friends, please keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.